1: I don't want to just be adding to the consumer marketing lie in myself. I don't want to be telling myself lies so that I somehow feel better about my life. I'd rather just put everything on the table and actually look at things honestly and then try to move from that place rather than moving from a place of this kind of complicit, environmental, light green, uh, quote, quote unquote, you know, pseudo sustainability.
0: What does it mean that even a lot of our current efforts to go green might just be a facade or short-term solutions that in of themselves may create a whole nother set of unintended problems? How do we deal with the loneliness and rage even that come with having woken up to our systemic issues that a lot of people around us still don't see? Almost like we're looking at the world from the outside in. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. To receive weekly highlights from the podcast that can hopefully provide you with another dose of inspiration, you can subscribe for free at greendreamer.com. With that, to thank you for being here, you'll also automatically be entered to win our monthly giveaways. And for now, on to our episode. Let's dive in. Our guest today is a lover and protector of wild nature. She was studying ecology at Columbia University when the Occupy Wall Street movement began. And in the middle of that, she co-created the Environmental Working Group to help orient the movement to the realities of a suffering planet. Today, she's the host of For the Wild podcast and teaches about empowered earth stewardship, leads biodiversity enhancement workshops, and facilitates panels across North America. This was just a really powerful and thought-provoking conversation intentionally saved for our special milestone of an episode. This is episode 100 on Green Dreamer Podcast. It definitely got me thinking a lot, and I think you'll get a sense of this as well, that maybe it's time for us to dig deeper even deeper beyond the facade of what's been popularized as sustainable living or conscious consumerism. Green Dreamer starting off with what inspired her passion for the environment. Here's Ayana Young.
1: I wasn't raised in an environmental or sustainably minded home. I love my family, but that wasn't their focus. (laughs) I really found inspiration I think first in my intuition, I think I always had this yearning to be in relationship with nature and therefore wanting to be a sustainable human because I could understand the toll that being human and being a consumer has on the earth. I just continued to follow that intuition sense I would say throughout my whole life, but it really wasn't until my college years that I began to open up my community and expand just my my sense of who else is out here and and what are they doing and what are people saying and writing about. And so little by little, I was picking up uh, pieces along the way, although it wasn't until Occupy Wall Street, and this was 2011, September, that really sparked me in a major way because it was this huge event where I was meeting people that were so impassioned. And I actually was really passionate about these issues of social and environmental justice as well. I just didn't have a community or even the language to speak about it, or really even the knowledge of a more comprehensive global understanding of what we're facing. And so once Occupy Wall Street started and I co-founded the environmentalist solidarity working group there, I just went on such a skyrocket to my, (laughs) my, planet of relationship, uh, earth relationship, so to speak. And it was a really incredible experience that I really had to work hard for the next few years after that to look at my conditioning straight in the face and look at my fears and my understanding of what I thought I was entitled to as a human. Uh, And that's even as basic as running water. And really question why do I think I'm even entitled to all the infrastructure it takes to get running water to a sink. Um, I really was stripping away so much of my human comforts when I moved out to Cougar Mountain, which was a few years after that really big boom of Occupy Wall Street for me. And and now it's just become much more commonplace for me to think about sustainability in a real, I would say st- Honest way, because I think the word sustainability is thrown around way too much. It has become a marketing tool. It's just kind of like the word natural. 7UP can have the word natural on it, but we know that it has high fructose corn syrup and GMOs and it's not healthy. So, and it's definitely what is natural? The same thing has happened with sustainability. And I think that's important because for a lot of us who are maybe just wanting to get into sustainability or scratch the surface of living a more humble life, because I think that actually is what is sustainable. We may go to the co-op or go to the uh, hardware store and we may say bottles, sustainable, sustainable, sustainable palm oil. Well, there's no such thing as sustainable palm oil. There are ways to not be as destructive, but it's literally a spectrum of destruction. It's And that isn't sustainable. So I think with that word, I know for myself, I feel really fierce in the way that I think about it, because I don't want to just be adding to the consumer marketing lie in myself. I don't want to be telling myself lies so that I somehow feel better about my life. I'd rather just put everything on the table and actually look at things honestly, and then try to move from that place rather than moving from a place of this kind of, um, complicit environmental light green, uh, <laughs> quote, quote unquote, you know, pseudo sustainability.
0: I definitely agree with you. I feel like the word sustainability and sustainable themselves are used too much that they're kind of losing what they're, they're losing their meaning. And to me, when I see a product that's like a sustainable product, that in of itself doesn't mean anything to me because a product itself can't be sustainable. It also depends on how the consumers take care of it, what happens afterwards. So just having a yeah. physical object mm-hmm. at one place in time being sustainable doesn't really make sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I think if we really want to be earth stewards, if we really want to show up with integrity, we have to be questioning so much of what we're being sold and so much of what the green media is trying to tell us. And, you know, one thing of that is renewable energy. I know that so many of us so hope and pray and wish that we can just somehow find a quick techno fix for climate change, for the Anthropocene, for this incredible, incredibly huge mess we're in. But there, I don't believe, and I want to say there is no techno fix out of this dilemma. It is a psychological dilemma because mm-hmm. of our addiction to fossil fuels, our addiction to modernity. And it's not just us in the United States, and it's not just Europe. Countries like China and Brazil, Russia. They're coming up in terms of the way that people want to live their lives and what they want to have access to. And there's nothing wrong with those people looking at countries like the United States and going, "Well, why can't we live that that way? And we want those same things." But when you start to think about nine billion people, all with iPhones, all with cars, all with being able to take an airplane anytime they want—and not to say that's all of us in the United States—but there's definitely more privileged people here that have that type of access. And when you think, okay, well, nine billion people with iPhones, it really doesn't matter if you plug that into a solar panel or not. Because think about where does the materials for renewable energy come from? Let's talk about the infrastructure. Let's talk about all the mining that has to go on to collect the minerals, the processes that then go into a solar panel or go into wind. And then what about all the wires? And what about all the grids? And then how does it get to us? Mm -hmm. We have to really break this down. And we also have to consider that all of the infrastructure and the ways in which renewable energy is created is by fossil fuels. So we're really just creating a whole nother industry to be able to burn fossil fuels and be able to mine and resource extract now for just a whole other industry called renewable energy. Perhaps solar panels are a transition. But I think what's more important for us to understand is the transition we have to do inside ourselves, inside what we feel entitled to as humans and how do we humble ourselves and simplify our lives, our modern lives. And the IFCC just came out with their report on climate change saying that we're about 10 years away from complete catastrophic climate change. And now when you look on a global level of what governments are doing, what corporations are doing, we're hardly doing anything. We're, I mean, compared to the mess that we're in, we're not really taking one, a small step towards actually being sustainable. And a lot of things I saw on Instagram pop up and Facebook were people calling out the corporations going, you know, the media wants to make you the individual feel bad for your personal carbon footprint. But it's really the corporations that have this huge footprint. And I and I've known that to be true, even when, you know, in California, they say, oh, don't shower. But really, the amount of water that's being used by humans to take a shower versus the amount of water being used by industrial agriculture or different resource extraction projects is minimal. But I also want to point out that the reason why corporations and resource extractive projects take up that or they have that big of carbon footprint is because we're buying what they're selling. So it's not that easy just to say, oh, it's the corporation's fault. Oh, it's the government's fault. It's somebody else's fault. Because the reason those corporations exist is because we actually prop them up. Mm -hmm. We are actually complicit in the reason that they exist. They don't exist if they're not making money. Well, how are they making money? It's because we're buying it. (laughs) We're literally going to Target. We're going to Costco. We're, we're, even if we're going to our local co-op, if we're going to our whole foods, it doesn't matter. We are the reason why fossil fuel extraction is still profitable. And so it's not to say that I think we should all now go hate ourselves and shame ourselves and, and feel like we're all terrible humans who are complicit in this system. But like I said at the beginning, if we're not willing to look honestly at what the issues actually are and what our role is in them, we're never going to find solutions. Mm -hmm. We have to be real to find the real solutions. But if we keep propping up this falsehood of, oh, we can just keep our extremely consumptive lifestyles just by plugging them into a renewable outlet, that is a dead end. That is literally a dead end for the planet. And we're already pushing the planet to extreme extinction. This whole summer was almost a tour of grief, just watching the last remaining intact ecosystems collapse and the glass glaciers melt. This is not something that we can put off. So for anybody who's listening who says that they care, they're an environmentalist, they like sustainability, they care about social justice issues. If you really care, then we need to start waking up together and actually doing the footwork. And it is a lot of work, but what else are we going to do? This is literally our survival. You know, it's a big, it's a big, <laughs> it's huge. And it's also, we're, we're not in it alone. And we also have to remember that there are, as much as I was watching glaciers melt and, and seeing just, the sheer devastation of these last intact places and the despair in that there was also so much hope and excitement and connectivity meeting people who have been fighting the fight for years, brilliant people, warm hearted people, just like I have chills thinking about all of these humans that I was able to spend time with that are absolutely incredible. And they understand the legal issues and the policy and all the things that maybe some of us feel like are way over our heads. So just know you know, if you want to really step into this work, you're not alone. There's thousands of people. And I'm sure there's even hundreds of people right in your local vicinity who you could hook up with and, and do this and link arms because we do need everybody in this movement to, to protect what we have left.
0: <laughs> yeah. So do you think this is a matter of really looking at ourselves and looking and questioning what developing even means and where we're headed? what progress looks like, where that's taking us. Because it sounds like the ways that countries are currently competing, the way that businesses are currently competing, we're headed in a direction that it's called growth. But that's still ultimately part of what's causing a lot of our destruction today.
1: hmm hmm Yeah, well, when you think about growth, what does it take for our economy to grow? Do we even want our economy to grow? Anytime we talk about growth, we have to be talking about what's the growth is growing off of, and that is consumption of resources. There's really no way to make money in our current system, you know, maybe a few things here and there. But for the most part, to keep the economy alive and to keep it, quote, growing, we need to keep consuming more and more, meaning the consumer needs to buy and the companies need to keep extracting and that's the way growth happens. So I'm really interested in degrowth models mm-hmm. and I'm interested in time banks and I'm interested in skill shares. And I know we're quite, quite far from that, but I really believe that creativity is the antidote to the destruction. So as much as we're going to be fighting against growth because that's resource extraction, we can also be coming together in brainstorms and potlucks and dreaming up what a future could be. And how does that future look? And how does it feel? And what are our days like? And how do we trade with each other? And what are the things that we really need from modernity? Because I'm not saying that, I mean, I really don't even think it's realistic for us to go back in time in some way and become a type of hunter gatherer where we're, we don't have any technology or modern con- comforts. Like I, I don't see us going back there. But I think us looking at what are the comforts that we actually really are attached to? And that's an experiment I did for a few years while I lived in a tent in the woods, and it was extremely challenging to live without running water or electricity or heat or like anything that would make me my body feel comforted. But what it allowed me to do was it it really helped me see. Oh wait, actually, I don't need this Halloween decoration. I mean, I'm really going to the edge right here. Not that (laughs) I had Halloween decorations, but I just want to go through like, what are all the BS that people buy? Because when I'm talking about degrowth, I'm not talking about having nothing, but can we just look at all of the extraneous BS that we have in our homes, that we have in our cars, all the trash, all the wrappers. I mean, we don't actually need that to live a beautiful life. Like we actually don't need Target. Like we don't need Walmart. We don't actually need those stores to have a, a really beautiful, full, uh, full of 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 just wonder and joy and comforts too. And so what what I found for myself as I was going through this process is one thing that I did not want to give up was hot water. And I realized that for <laughs> two years of not having hot water. Okay, so that's a good to know. That's good to know that. I am not willing to give up hot water. And I think making lists of what are we willing to give up and what are we not willing to give up. And Mm -hmm. when I say give up, it has this negative connotation, just like the word sacrifice in our culture has this negative connotation. But when you get to sacrifice something for the earth, for this relationship with the wild, for sustainability, for anything, like when you can sacrifice things that really don't matter, especially to that which you love, it's actually incredibly fulfilling and it and it builds up karma credits and it's beautiful. I mean it's so um it's actually a really beautiful way to live. So I don't want it to make it seem like now, oh, we had to give these things up and somehow our lives are less than. And so okay, so for me personally, I don't care so much about electricity. I don't actually really like electricity. I I don't I have an office that has electricity this little cabin that I'm speaking to you from here. But my tiny house doesn't have electricity and I love it because I'm able to sleep. I'm able mm-hmm. to actually turn off without all the buzzing wires. It's like, okay, so I don't live ele- with electricity, but like I said, I have a communal spot where there is electricity where a, m- a, a number of people can take from, and this is our one hub. And that's something that I've worked out. Um, but it's not to say I don't have it. Yeah. Hot water. You know, I, I, th- I had to think, okay, if I don't want to give up hot water, then let me really look at what I'm doing. So I use mostly propane. And I have to know that, okay, this is a type of gas that is being extracted somewhere. So maybe there's methods to get together with inventors to figure out, well, what are other heating systems? There's just so much creativity that comes from when you actually find out what are the things that you are not willing to give up and how do we make that sustainable? But making our current culture sustainable is not going to happen. There, There is no such thing as a sustainable way that we're living now in the dominant culture. But I think that we can get a lot closer to what sustainability it truly is. Not to say we may never get there, probably not in my lifetime, unless we're absolutely forced. But, um, you know, it opens us up to so much. And I, I really want to encourage people to make this list and then to just dream and get together with friends and dream and read some books from people who have been working on this for years and start to see how we can be a part of that movement because it's really, really exciting once you dig in.
0: So when most of our world today is disillusioned in terms of what our needs and necessities and desires are in life, how do we begin to get people to question this at a massive scale? Mm -hmm. Because you've become really perceptive with this. But I feel like most people, even within sustainability, haven't asked a lot of these very basic questions as you have.
1: Mm. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, this is not it's a great question. And it's not an easy question because people, for the most part, really do not want to give these things up. They really don't want to change. They don't want to feel like they don't have as much freedom. Um And it's really funny how we've become so entitled to thinking that somehow our lives, our very short lives, and the comfort of our very short lives is somehow more important than all other species and earth and clean water (laughs) and a stable climate. It's like, that's really what it comes down to is we somehow feel entitled to believe that our comforts are more important than the planet literally going through an extinction crisis and a climate catastrophe. So, um, it's deep, you know, it's really, really deep to to reach people on this level because it forces people to question everything and it forces them to question themselves. And that's not easy. A lot of people, you know, they already feel exhausted in their lives. So when people are really exhausted with the day-to-day, raising children, going to work, you know, they just want to come home and put on the television for the most part because they want to zone out. They don't want to now tune in to the end of the world and how they're complicit in it. And it's a hard thing to ask people, but it's a mandatory thing to ask of people. So, what are the strategies? What are the tactics to getting people more engaged? I was, you know, thinking about how I first started learning about all this stuff and the way that I communicated it even with my own family, and I was really fired up and judgmental and rightfully so. There was, you know, I'm not saying there was anything wrong with that, and I still very much am, powered by a sacred rage burning in my chest to do this work. But I also realized it wasn't really getting through to people's hearts because they put up a defensive wall when I'd start coming at them in a certain way. And I think we really need to focus on the heart and not so much the mind, although I think it's important, but I don't think it's actually going to move people because Think about it. We've had climate statistics for the last 50, 60 years, and we've only burned more fossil fuels every year since then. We know the statistics. Many of us know what's going on, and it's not actually shifting consciousness. It's not shaping culture. In the biggest part, it's shaping a light green culture to some people who now feel like somehow they're doing something good when really they're just buying something with a green label. And sure, maybe it's a little less toxic. But again, this isn't the real shift that we need if we actually want to protect what we have left. If we actually want orcas for another 10 years, we really have to drastically shift. And orcas, you could p- put in any species in that, whether it's lions, orcas, salmon, humans, culture, I mean, it's it just keep going down the list. And so I think we need to really reach out to people's hearts and, and find out what do they love? And how can we speak to that part of them? And yeah, for sure, thrown a few statistics, I think it's important to be able to back up our arguments with research. And so we're not just fully coming at it from an emotional standpoint, because that's not going to work for everybody. But when you start talking about, hey, like, do you want clean water? Do you want to get cancer? Do you want your children to have cancer? Do you want like, what kind of health life do you want? Do you care about? Because when you really start hitting people in their own mortality and their, the mortality of people they love, it becomes a lot more real because we have to remember nature, quote unquote, is really not as accessible as it was because we have less and less open spaces and we have more and more concrete so, you know, trying to talk to some people about sustainability or the earth, it might seem so far away from them. Maybe they've never even walked into a forest. So, to try to get them to stand up for that, you know, they're dealing with things in their own community that have nothing to do with that. So, I think there's also that tactic where we're really understanding who our audience is and how do we have a universal approach where we're speaking to many different pieces that's going to draw people in on, on a multitude of levels because that's really what we need to do. It's kind of like, how every child learns differently. You know, we can't just have a one fits all approach that, okay, now we can say this one commercial and everybody's going to get behind it. No, we need to be going at it from all angles. And that's why we need more people in the movement because we need people above ground, underground, left to right, you know, people that are artists, people that are doctors, people that are uh, gardeners, people that are teachers, people that are handymen, everything. We need all of that because, we need to be able to connect to more people and we need to be able to speak many different languages to people. And yes, English and otherwise, but I actually even mean in the English language, how we can use language to draw people in and something I definitely think about a lot with campaigns and getting the message across. And really what I find the most effective is to have the biggest diversity of voices possible sharing a similar message, but coming at it from different angles, because we're going to be reaching a lot more people like that. And and then, of course, we can look at mainstream media and know that there's only been four hours in 2017 that it was dedicated to climate change on mainstream media, four mm-hmm. hours. Many people watch more than four hours of television in a day, and we only have four hours the entire year. So we know that the mainstream media is hardly Talking about these issues and the corporations that have enough money to buy commercials for the most part, aren't talking about these issues. So we need to, you know, I would love to see it more in the mainstream media, but if we can't do that, because potentially we won't have the funding, how do we work a little more um, slyly within communities? You know, showing up at the grocery store, going to dinners in our communities. Like how do we work with the people we know and then spread it out from there? Because I think there's so much power in the type of domino effect.
0: So do you feel like word of mouth will be one of our key Uh, strategies that we have to take on? Like a bottom-up approach?
1: Yeah, I think we do need to do grassroots. And I think there absolutely needs to be people in policy and in government and in the legal field doing their work too. Like I was saying, we need it from all angles. So I would say whoever's listening, if you're a lawyer, boom, you know where you need to go. Like (laughs) There's so much legal stuff.
0: We all have our own parts to play.
1: We all have our own. Yeah. If you're Uh, you know, a stay at home parent, like, you know, where your role is, like, talk to your kids, get involved in the PTA, you know, there's a million things to do at all angles. And the beauty in that is that you can anybody can really hone in on their passion. Mm -hmm. Like my passion is the temperate rainforest. I mean, I love all the earth, but that's where my passion lies. It's a temperate rainforest. And it's in storytelling. And that's my lane. And that's what I'm going to stick in. Mm -hmm. But there might be Uh, a thousand and two other lanes that are equally as important and completely necessary for people to step in and really lead with their passion. Because honestly, we need the love. We need the passion. It's a really, it's tough work and we don't have a lot of victories because we don't have enough people in the movement. So we have to be ready for those hard days. But if you're impassioned by something and you're following your lane and your dream and the way to be doing the work. It's going to really feed you and and keep you and keep you sustainable in the long run as an activist or as a earth steward. So we need to think about that in terms of our own personal sustainability in the movement and really prepare for the long haul.
0: Is there anything you feel like it will take for us to get this to be a top priority in the global agenda or even national agenda? Because a lot of people within sustainability, we're trying to do what we can, we vote, we uh, choose better products when we need it. And really, we really think about our needs versus wants more. But I feel like we're not really moving the needle because we're just doing this ourselves. So how can we get this to be embedded into mainstream culture?
1: or Mm -hmm. top
0: of the agenda for policymakers, because it's, it feels like a lot of other things are more important. And to be able to create drastic change that is really needed today to protect our planet, I feel like we really need to align everybody's uh, interests and really surface this to the very top, Mm -hmm. because it's a matter of life and survival at this point.
1: Yeah, well, I, I agree that, you know, within mainstream media and politics, and kind of the the big head honchos. The needle is not moving fast enough at all, and there's there's no doubt about that. And I know it can feel so huh, frustrating and exhausting to feel so siloed from other groups of people or other other uh, you know change making institutions. And I think that there needs to be way more people that have these ethics, running for government positions, Mm -hmm. we need to have a lot more of these types of sustainable people running for office. And then we as the people who aren't, we need to support them to make sure that they have a chance at winning. I think that is a definite way to get into the mainstream. Because honestly, it's not, you know, I really want to tell people who have, have ever thought about running for government and have the skills, I believe in you. I believe in you. I don't think that the people who are in office right now really know (laughs) that much more. I I don't think it's like, I don't think it's something that's unsurmountable. And I know it can feel really scary. Like, Oh, I can't do that. I no, I, I really want to tell people who are thinking about it. You can let's get more people in the race to be able to make decisions and really the decisions that the, those of us who know that this is a, this is about survival you know, we'll, we'll entrust in them. So I think definitely let's, let's get more people running for government and support them through that. And then in terms of the actual media itself, it's it's challenging because part of it's like, okay, well, let's try to make it trendy because if it's trendy and trend setting, then media is going to pick up on it because why it's profitable. So, oof, okay. We run into that mix again. And I think that's a big reason why sustainability has even caught on as much as it has because, There's been people behind the scenes that have been able to make it profitable, which means more consumption. So the media, I think, is a little more challenging in terms of mainstream media. But I think things like Facebook and Instagram, which are really mainstream, there's a number of different media sources, including what we do at For the Wild. There's Indigenous Rising. There's a lot of people that are doing really amazing media that maybe have a a smaller constituents than, say, like a CBS. But nonetheless it is changing culture and it is shaping and, you know, we can use the tools of social media to educate and to serve this bigger mission. And we absolutely need to do that. And, you know, and if there are people like Leonardo DiCaprio who are in the mainstream, who have been talking about the earth and sustainability, but we can even see that Leo, you know, as famous as he is, it's not as if like a hundred other big star actors are, are coming out saying what he's saying. So I think that's kind of an interesting uh, view that, okay, like where really is the power to shift? And I love to strategize about this and I have ideas here and there and I'm sure a lot of other people have ideas. And again, it's like, how do we start in our communities and build up? How do we look to people who do have big followings who are doing these kinds of things and, and support each other? Because I think part of the reason why the needle isn't moving in terms of our power is if you look at let's just say the other side like the resource extraction side they're really organized they're extremely organized and we don't hear a lot of fights going down between them and they're just basically getting it done they're just they're just making it happen they have, and of course they have a lot more money on their side but i'm interested in the movement how do we unify the movement more and really use the strength in numbers because we have really with six degrees of separation, millions of people in the movement, whether they're like in it or they're kind of on the cusp, you know, there are a lot of people. How do we bring even like a systems theory approach rather than trying to be like, how do we get the person who's totally not sustainable in our group? Or what if we look at, well, how do we get that person who's like, trying to be sustainable, but not quite sure, not quite in? How do we get them in? They're a lot closer to the core. So I think even if we just try to get the people right on the fringes of sustainability to get into the movement, we actually are going to boost the numbers of the movement. And that also includes how do we connect with other organizations? You know, As one organization or as one community, it's going to be hard to fight the big fight. But if we're able to organize ourselves, so instead of one organization or two organizations, we have a coalition of 5,000 organizations saying the same thing. And then all of the constituents of those organizations backing the same thing, boom, we got a lot of power there. We have a huge strength in numbers. And that is something that could potentially, we could pay for a commercial on mainstream media during the Super Bowl, we could go into government and into lobbying in Washington, DC. So again, it's like, Yes, it's about local community. And it's also about knowing that you're not in it alone, even as a community. There's a lot of other communities that need to be connected in an organized way so that we build coalitions within a number of these problems, localized and otherwise.
0: And it sounds like when we really boil this conversation down to how this is really about protecting our basic human uh, rights to clean water, clean air, biodiversity on Earth, and uh, biodiverse healthy food sources, these are things that are easy to sell to most people too. So it's not like we're getting people to want something that they don't want. It's just really getting people to see more clearly what's at stake and what we'd be losing if we didn't protect these things. So in other words, its yeah. it could also be not about sacrificing, but more about thinking about what we'd lose if we didn't mm-hmm. do it differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we are slated to lose pretty much everything. I mean, that is actually where we're going. (laughs) Clean water, clean air, like really basic necessities. I mean, water at all, like any type of potable water, even like fresh, clean water, pretty much the majority of all species. That's what we're up against. Like we are actually moving to a place where we're going to be growing food in labs and putting it into like weird plastic container boxes like that that's where we're moving into because we're killing everything
0: and we can't keep
1: up with the rate and yeah yeah no (laughs) I mean they're already I know I know inventors who are making you know what do you call it like laboratory meat where it's like organisms eating each other and that's how you now can shape it into a steak I mean we (laughs) are going there and it's just, it's so incredible to think like we could be here with our like fake meat staring at our screen with a forest and an orca <laughs> jumping in the background. But then we actually look outside our window and it's just completely lonely, you know, and it's not just, oh, well, maybe that fake meat doesn't sound that bad. I mean, think about it, you know, because I'm sure people could go, oh, I could, I could kind of live like that. Well, and just to say, we're not all going to live like that, you know, when, when, when stuff really hits the fan. It's not like everybody now just gets to have like a privileged technological life, there will be a lot of suffering, and a, a extreme poverty, and people starving, it's not going to be just now everybody gets to eat the fake meat. And so I, I really want to put that out too that it's, it's not like the Jetsons, it's devastating to think about losing life itself. That is that's what we are pushing right now. And every time we make a choice, we are choosing what's our priority. And I just want to say like I also make choices that aren't that aren't beneficial for the planet. And I grieve those choices. And there's times that I absolutely buy things in plastic packaging. And I have a whole trash bag from being on the road for two months full of popcorn wrappers and all sorts of crap. and 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 so I don't want to say that I'm sitting here on a mount, talking this talk because somehow I figured it out. No, I'm on a computer. I have an iPhone. And I also just want to really be able to honestly look at the issues so that we can have honest solutions. And I don't think we have to beat ourselves up, but I do think that we need to look at the comprehensive magnitude of the issues and then link arms and take a step forward step by step.
0: And you mentioned that sometimes you have this rage. I feel like that's something that a lot of us get as well when, we, when we're when we able to see it this way but know that a lot of other people don't see it. How do you deal with that? How do you keep going just mm-hmm. knowing that you see everything so clearly but maybe most of the world or at least a lot of decision makers don't?
1: Well, I want to just hover back on love because, yeah, it is so frustrating. It's so frustrating to wake up every day and know that the battle is huge. And we're, you know, David and Goliath style, and even people who aren't bad people are just so complicit. And, and then, like I said, even the complicity in myself and, and the grief and the sadness and, and the shame and the guilt, you know, it's not, I know, we're so afraid of feeling ashamed, we're so afraid of feeling guilty, but you know what, like, I'm going to own up and I'm going to own up to my shame and grief guilt and say, yeah, I actually, I do need to feel these emotions and, and then sacred rage. Yeah. Feeling the rage that when you're literally watching your loved one get slaughtered for a target plastic, you know, Halloween gift, which is really what it is that that's happening when you're like literally seeing the most magnificent relative creatures being murdered so that we can have Landfills of stuff because we actually don't even care. We don't even value even the things that we're buying that are killing the earth. Oh my gosh, the rage is so potent, and it's not just directed at other people. Like I said, I also feel it for, with my own choices, and so yeah, I, I definitely feel that complexity in myself and in others and in the state of the world. And what keeps me going personally is is love. You know, for any of you who have children or you love your your friends, your family, your your pets and that fierce love that you are willing to do anything, no matter what the odds are, no matter how intense it is to love them in the face of collapse or like what do you do in that moment? what you probably do in that moment is you hold that person's hand and you touch their forehead and you love them and you probably go home on Google and maybe you do some research or whatever, but you you pay attention, you engage, you nurture that relationship. And that's how I get through it is that I nurture this love relationship I have with the earth every day. And that itself is stronger than any of the other emotions that might make me feel debilitated or so frustrated that I can't do anything or anything like that. I think the frustration and the shame and the guilt and the rage are actually beneficial. I I think we actually need to feel those things because when we actually allow ourselves to feel the intensity of our time, that will actually help us to do something because we're really taking it in. And, And I also want to say if we don't really acknowledge what's happening think about how painful that is for the earth to know that not only are we a complicit in the murder but we're not even willing to acknowledge that i mean think i mean you I, I know i've been in fights with lovers and i get so frustrated when i don't get acknowledged it's just like just just acknowledge that that hurt me you know i don't know some of, maybe some of you feel that way just acknowledge me acknowledge that this happened to me acknowledge that i was affected. We have to acknowledge just for acknowledgement's sake, even if we don't do anything else that day, but just to say, earth, I see you. I, I feel you. I know what's happening and I'm here and I'm here and I'm here and I'm not running away. And that's what gets me through because I am so committed and dedicated to my relationship with the earth that I want to show up and I want to show up with fierce love and let the earth know I'm here and I'm watching what's happening and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to do something, whether or not that something ever amounts to anything, whether that something doesn't fix, doesn't solve, doesn't save. Those things are secondary or not even secondary. They're probably further down the list. I think where we really need to start is just in the relationship and how do we want to show up in our relationship with the earth. And that is what guides me and keeps me going through all of the complexity and intensity and troublesomeness of the time.
0: Well, I I could hear you talk about this forever and I really want to learn more from you. So, what are some upcoming projects for you that we can look forward to and support?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much and I've really enjoyed this conversation as well. So, for all of you out there, again, I'm Ayana Young and I have an incredible group of soulmates that I get to work with day in and day out on a nonprofit organization called for the wild collective and you can find us at for world on that site you can check out our 1 million redwoods project which is a biomimetic reforestation project of temperate rainforest region starting in the redwoods so going to these damaged landscapes and really listening and observing and replanting and helping with Enhancing the biodiversity and the whole forest community, not just monocropping a tree. And that could be a whole episode in and of itself <laughs> just to talk about reforestation. And then we have our podcast as well for the wild podcast, which you can find on iTunes as well as the website. We're also on Instagram at for dot the dot wild and Twitter and Facebook. The podcast has been probably my biggest teachings. I get to speak with legends and visionaries around environmental and social justice issues and every week i feel shifted and molded and changed and more vigorous for this movement so i really recommend anybody check that out you know we are always needing financial support from our community so please make a donation on for the wild. World if you believe in our work we also have a drip account at d.rip slash for dash the dash wild and uh yeah those are some of our projects, and I feel totally honored and blessed to be able to do this work.
0: As we're closing off 2018, it's time to reflect on our learning lessons from this year, while also starting to dream up all the things that we want to realize for ourselves, our loved ones, and our planet in 2019. As we're aware, there's lots of work to be done, but with more intentionality and practical planning, Hopefully, we'll be able to really make the most of 2019 in this time of need. And I know that both goal setting and taking consistent action can be really challenging, especially in moments of uh, self-doubt or feeling down for whatever reason. Which is why our 2019 Green Dreamer planners were made to support you and our Earth to thrive. It features research-based goal-setting and reflection guides, 101 simple holistic health tips, motivational quotes from our past guests, our major eco and wellness awareness days, extra bullet journal pages for customization, and more. To learn more, you can head to greendreamer.com slash planners, where you'll also find all the technical details there and also see that every planner will support the planting of 50 trees. Yes, that's five zero, like literally a forest. It's not perfect by any means, but I just really hope that it'll be helpful to you if you do use physical planners and if you gift it to loved ones that it can be a way for you to support them throughout 2019. Again, greendreamer.com slash planners for more information. And for now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's one uplifting social media account or publication you follow?
1: Indigenous Rising. Uh, Instagram is wonderful and oh goodness there's so many uh, PNW protectors
0: Uh, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired
1: I think it's less of telling myself and it's more of listening to the world around me and that's going to a tree and just communing looking observing touching the bark looking at the needles Um, looking at soil, flowers, you know, get out of the human world a little. And that always really helps me.
0: What's one thing you do for your health, either daily or weekly?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to hot water. I love (laughs) baths. I really, really, really love baths. So that's probably my number one is taking a bath and going on a walk in a natural setting, whether it's a park or a forest or a beach. I really, I really need that. I really, really need to take quiet time to be with the earth.
0: What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably?
1: Hmm. Well, I'm really working on zero waste. I, I know it can kind of seem trendy or like it's not that important or something and it's absolutely important. And we really should be you know, kind of slapping ourselves that we allow ourselves to have so much one-use plastic. I know some people think it's not that big of a deal, that it's not really going to change the world. But honestly, why do we think we're so entitled to be able to (laughs) make so much waste? It doesn't make sense. And I think it's kind of mandatory that we go off of the one-use plastic at this point. It's really ridiculous that (laughs) any of us still do that, (laughs) including myself.
0: Uh, What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment (laughs)
1: relationships, relationships with the earth and with other humans that are just kicking butt and putting so much love and creativity and dedication into the resistance work and into the creation work. I could say everybody I've ever interviewed, I am, I come away just feeling so grateful and hopeful that they exist, that, wow, thank God, thank God there's people out there doing this work. And it's, it's so uplifting because it reminds me that we're not alone and we can't do it alone and we don't need to because there are a lot of incredible people fighting the good fight and I'm always just looking for ways to support them. And what
0: final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers?
1: Follow your dream no matter what. Do not give up. When there's times that you feel overwhelmed or like people don't understand you or anything that comes up in your way, breathe through it. We need you. I truly believe in everybody to step into their power, into their integrity, and to live a life of fulfillment. So keep following that dream no matter where you are, no matter how far you feel like you are from sustainability. Take little steps, little steps. And share about those steps. Social media is a great place to to connect with other people if you don't have them around you in your community. You know, go to to local group meetings, go to City Hall, empower yourself. You're going to feel so good on the other side to know that you're not just waiting to live the dream that you've been dreaming, but you're actually manifesting it in real time.
0: When you feel overwhelmed or like people don't understand you, Breathe through it because we need you. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable takeaways from this interview as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 100 for episode 100. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. Finally, just remember, now more than ever,